Once again, it is time to get historical on you. It is episode 226 of Top Rope Nation. Ryan Drosty here with Justin Joint and Kyle Ross. And with the King of the Ring returning, gentlemen, this year, and with Kyle just incredibly invested ring tournament here in 2021, we thought... This is a great time to talk about the King of the Ring tournaments from the past. And Kyle's going to go off tonight on on how this year's tournament is going to top them all. Kyle Ross, how are you doing tonight? Well, I was <laughs> going to say I was doing at least better than John Gruden this week. But after that <laughs> intro, I don't know how I'm doing. <laughs> oh, I'll man. Tell what, what I'll tell you what. Yeah, I'll tell you what, John, when you next time you fire off those emails, you might want to stick to Spider Y2 Banana or whatever that stuff is, buddy. Keep the personal takes in the home. <laughs> Justin Joint, how are you doing tonight? Honestly, I'm still kind of upset from uh, last week with uh, Zach Haydorn Jedi mind tricking me into paying $11 for Undertaker versus Jeff Hardy <laughs> and, and therefore losing out on getting that Clash of Champions tag team match that kyle ross uh priced me out of like a real dickhead yes by the way uh the vote on who wins that draft since we are recording this so early this week so we're actually we're streaming live right now for our patrons just like we did last week it's tuesday night Uh, most of you are going to hear this show on friday morning or after you could have heard it three days early if you were a patron of the show check the link here in the description uh but i don't have the results of the poll yet because I planned on putting that up tomorrow. I got a little behind on uh, making the graphic for it. It's going to go out on Twitter tomorrow. By the time the show airs, there will be a result. So if you want to see who won our draft, check out twitter.com slash nation. But we'll talk about it on next week's show. But I, I thought overall our best TV matches draft was pretty even across the board. I thought we all ended up with, with uh, some pretty good set of matches. Yeah, I'd say of all the drafts we've done, this might be the toughest one to call. Mm-hmm. Or there's definitely not one person that stands out as being especially bad. Agreed. Agreed. And most importantly, we had so much fun doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it was very difficult, Justin. The the whole auction rule stuff that you came up with. I wasn't expecting it to be as hard as it was, but like once we got into the nitty gritty of the of the draft, it was really, really hard to try to apportion all of my one hundred dollars and to try to come up with a strategy of how to use them well and i went kind of all in on my first pick and then you know it leaves you with only 40 bucks or whatever and change to Mm -hmm. to fill out four more matches so it was it was kind of a new caveat i liked it though made a little different from our past drafts hopefully those of you at home liked it as well and yeah if you have any feedback let us know join the facebook group link is here in the the podcast description we've had a lot of great discussions going on today especially uh, over in the top rope nation pro wrestling facebook discussion group Always stuff going on there. So if you're listening, uh, would would love to have you join the group. Kyle, you've been very active on Facebook.com today. You know, I try. It's Tuesday. It's kind of one of my lighter days of the work week. So I thank you both, by the way, for recording on this day. It really made my week a lot better. Speaking of Patreon, guys, I do got to throw a shout out. We had a new patron 
join uh, I think it was last week and I, I couldn't remember if I if I shouted him out on the air or not so I want to make sure to thank Rick C for joining the patreon page. Of course everyone that becomes a patron gets access to at least five bonus shows a month. We do top rope nation extra a full length bonus show every single week. The only way to hear that is on patreon.com slash top rope nation. And the monthly bonus podcast, Top Rope Nation Classics, been doing that for a couple of years, retro reviews of, of classic wrestling events. From the feedback we get from our listeners, some of the best podcasts that we do. So thank you, Rick, so much for joining the Patreon page. Very much appreciate your support and everyone else that are patrons. A lot of you have been there for a long time. We've got the names right now on the bottom of our YouTube stream as we record. And couldn't do this without you, you guys have helped the, uh, the growth of the show so much. But, you know, if $5 a month for Patreon is not in your budget, what you can do to support us is to leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. And in fact, once again, we have a new review to read on the air. Last week we had two. Got a new one coming in from the United States of America. This one hits us from... Ninhead, or is it Nine Inch Nails Head? I'm not sure. Uh, I believe that's Nine Inch Nails Head if I <laughs> know who this person is. Five stars, a triumph. Finally, a wrestling podcast with a host that won't defraud a WWE <laughs> legend and charities alike. Five stars. Thank you, Nine Inch Nails Head. Kyle, would you care to comment on that one? Not on air. and if you know if you guys would like to go above it beyond being a patreon and somehow become a co-host of the show then you can stay after the podcast and i'll tell stories like that to you but (laughs) nope not on this not not on the airwaves i'm not telling what he's referring to (laughs) all right so and you know lastly of course all of our shows go up in video format i mentioned we're streaming live right now for patreon but it will this video will go public on friday youtube.com slash top rope nation every free channel subscription helps us out a lot so please do that imagine making me feel sorry for jerry lawler (laughs) (laughs) i don't know why i said that i don't know I don't know what could that have to do with it. We just okay. recently talked about. Okay. Um, all right, let's 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 change gears. Let's get to the topic of the night. That's the King of the Ring historical. Mostly, we're talking about past King of the Rings tonight. I'm sorry. I know I let off talking about 2021. Spoiler alert: We're not going to talk a whole hell of a lot about the 2021 King of the Ring tournament, Kyle. But we are going to talk about those from the past or the Queen's Crown tournament. Is that what's called the Queen's Crown? Yeah, yeah, it is Queen's called Crown the Queen's tournament. Crown. Yes. Also not going to get a lot of discussion tonight. Mostly 80s and 90s and early 2000s King of the Ring. And so, Kyle, your notes are elaborate on this. You went to town. I am really pumped for this. It's going to be a great discussion. Take it away, sir. I'm going to let you just run this right off the top. I'm sorry, Mr. Drosty. Did you say 80s King of the Ring? Yes. Okay. So some people may not know this, but before... King of the Ring became a pay-per-view in 1993. There was an annual King of the Ring tournament held uh, from 1985 through 1991. Not 1990, though. For some reason, they skipped that year. And these events uh, took place in Foxborough, the old Patriot Stadium, Sullivan Stadium, in 85 and 86. And then shifted to Providence, so uh, still in the Northeast, from 87 to 91. In both cities, uh, it drew... Pretty well the first time, but only 
uh, to decline greatly. Attendance uh, was really in the toilet uh, by 1991. So in the case of Foxborough, they did 23,000. Again, that's a football stadium they were doing. Uh, 20K paid, uh, and that was for the 85 event. There was a Hulk Hogan title defense in a non-tournament match, I believe, against Nikolai Volkov there. Uh, they dropped down to 12K the following year in 86. So that that's a steep drop, about 50%. And it was a similar pattern in Providence, which sold out the first time, 12,000 in 87. And then basically every year, cut in half. They were down to like 2,500 for 91. So as they repeated this in the same market, fans were not really digging it. And that's kind of an ominous sign for a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about here tonight. Yeah. I think so. You know, um, you know, all, all these numbers are courtesy of Graham's site. Uh, Graham, of course, uh, was on our show to do the Great American Bash history, historyofwb.com, an indispensable resource. I think we would all <laughs> yes. Uh, agree. Yes. But uh, for those who are interested, the winners of these respective tournaments in 1985, you had the magnificent Morocco over the Iron Sheik. In a mm-hmm. heel versus heel final. <laughs> uh, in 86, Harley Race beat Pedro Morales. This was the only win acknowledged on TV, obviously. If you're our age, you remember King Harley Race. Uh, 87, Randy Savage defeated King Kong Bundy. 88, DiBiase beat Savage while those two were kind of wrapping up their world title program. Uh, 89, Santana over Martel. Uh, Strike Force explodes. And then in 91, Bret Hart over IRS? <laughs> yes, no King of the Ring in 1990. Took a year off. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, when you when you went through those winners, some people might have been thinking Randy Savage winning it in 1987. Was that where Macho King came from? And no, it was not. It was not nope. from 1987. In fact, only as you mentioned, only one of these winners was acknowledged on television, that being King Harley Race kind of established him coming into the promotion, you know, as a legitimate main eventer. Of course, he had been a main eventer in the NWA and elsewhere. But um, that w- that kind of became, how, how would you term that? It was like the traveling crown almost, because that's the crown then that eventually reached Randy Savage, years, Randy Savage years down the road. Yeah, okay, we could jump into So It's kind of odd how there were these King of the Ring tournaments taking place yearly or almost every year. But at the same time, the lineage of the crown on TV was quite different. You know, race held it for a while. And you're right. Yeah. I know Meltzer like was just aghast. If you read the old observers at uh, Vince making him a King, but it, you know, I mean, he had a house show program with Hogan in 87. It's not like, you know, they were just like having him like, you know, getting beat by all these losers. I mean, he was treated, I thought reasonably well uh, for being at that stage of his career in 86 and 87. But you know, uh, he gets hurt in a match against Hogan on Saturday's main event in early 88. And Haku assumes the gimmick, as people remember. You know, it was a deal where he was part of the Heenan family. Tama had left the promotion. So that kind of made it just kind of a deal that made sense, I guess. But, you know, Haku who loses the crown to Duggan, oddly defended it, just ran and loses it. And then Duggan loses to Savage later in 89. And then Savage never defends the crown. He lost matches, obviously, as the Macho King, but mm-hmm. never defended it. So it was kind of odd how, you know, on TV, the crown gimmick was very independent 
from these tournaments. And only in 1989 was the crown defended on television, seemingly. Duggan was basically, like, I don't know if they were just kind of looking for something uh, for Savage to have post WWF title run. And like Duggan was, they just viewed Duggan, okay, we'll just have Duggan beat Haku and transition to Savage. I don't know what the thought process was there, but yeah, it was kind of odd how one yeah. year of the TV gimmick they had two guys defend it. Um, and then they never had defended because I mean, Race never defended it when he was the king. He lost matches and he didn't, you know. Lose so the, the, crowd. the Harley Race becoming King Harley Race, and you know, like he, like I said, he's new to the promotion. Would you say like the whole reason for him winning it was just to legitimize him for that Hogan feud? Probably. I mean, I think yeah. you know. Again, like I said, Meltzer like thought it was like the worst thing in the world, the joke. Um, if you read his observers at the time, but it was a way, I guess, to give him something to be kind of a nod to his past. Yeah, and, and have some relevancy in the promotion. Um, I, I didn't think it was like a horrible thing or like a rib or or anything like that. Um, you know, they they treated him pretty seriously. Uh, I, I thought, I, you know, he, he was at the upper part of the card. Yeah, and I, I, the the thing I want to talk about the most is that I don't know how much you guys had a chance to review this. Was these odd matchups in these tournaments? You talk about. Nobody spending any time booking these tournaments. I mean, I already joked about the heel versus heel magnificent Morocco Iron Sheik final. 85. Imagine being in attendance, and that's what it comes down to. <laughs> A 1985 WWF fan. You're like, uh, okay. Um, another one that caught my eye, 88 semifinal. We're getting ready to get finals. Ted DiBiase versus Ron Bass? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that might have been a hell of a match in Florida in 83, but I mean, not in 1988 WWF. And most of these were 16-man tournaments. I think yes. only one was, uh, 86 was a 12-man tournament. I think it was 86. Yeah, 86 was a 12-man, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> or no, that was actually 14. There was two guys with buys. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. X and Mike Rotundo got the buys. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Mr. X and Mike Rotundo, I believe, although I can't confirm this, do I have Graham's site up? Oh, I do, and it happens to be on 86. Mr. X was probably Danny Davis, I believe. Okay, yeah, I had no idea who that was. It, it doesn't say, it just, well, okay, hold on. So, again, per Graham's site, what an indispensable resource here, historyofwb.com. Uh, Mr. X was a sub for Hercules. Okay. And, again, I, I know Danny Davis worked the Mr. X gimmick, so I'm assuming it was him, but uh, yeah, a sub. Hmm. But Mike Rotundo in 1986 getting a buy? What was he doing? The, <laughs> the end of the, the you know, teaming with Dan Spivey and like the sad version of the U.S. Express, that's that's an odd thing, and um, God, there were just a couple hoots when I was looking through here. Who was it? I think it was IRS, who we all made fun of earlier, making it to the finals. On his way to the finals in 91, IRS beats the Berserker in a first-round match. And then a semi-final, okay? Bret Hart gets a bye in the semi due to a double DQ of Sid and the Undertaker. Okay, so we're denied a mm. an extra Bret Hart match. And the only semi-final is IRS versus Jerry Sags. <laughs> <laughs> you see I Bret mean, Hart's uh, opponent in the first round in that tournament? 
Yeah, Pete Doherty. Doherty, the, the Duke, Duke of Dorchester. Yes, one of the <laughs> single worst color commentators in the history of this business. Um, Par- just apparently, he lost to Brett in thirty-three seconds in the first round. Pete would often lose sub one minute when he was called <laughs> upon on the house show. He, he would. Yeah. He knew his role, I guess. But uh, there were a lot of like just random people who I thought were maybe locals, but mm-hmm. they weren't even like Bill Woods drawing a paycheck in nineteen eighty nine. Bill Woods? <laughs> who um, who else was there? I mean, th- these were just, uh, I was just laughing at these. How about a first-round matchup of one-man gang and Bundy in 87? There was some yeah. other guy I'd never heard of before. Rudy Diamond in 86. Your favorite Rudy Diamond moment, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these are just bizarre lineups. <laughs> but, I mean, and, hey, I guess it's something special for the live crowd. Well, so. I... I have in my notes the word special in quotes because that's what this was supposed to be. It was kind of supposed to be this special house show attraction, but based on those attendance numbers I read earlier, uh, not so much. People were not off. digging this. And again, that big number they drew in 85, Hogan defended against Volkoff uh, in a time. So that drew the house, not the tournament. Uh, 86, you had a non-tournament match of Bruno San Martino over the designated hitman. Not Bret Hart, but the designated hitman who was a sub for Eddie Andelman, a local TV radio personality who refused to wrestle. Mm. So we were really just pulling stuff out of left field in these non-pay-per-view King of the Rings. None of this has ever made tape. I don't know if somebody has like a handheld or something. I have never. There's a there's a hand there's a handheld of nine there's a okay. handheld of ninety one I believe I think I actually have it on VHS from so my tape trading days. You're telling me I can actually watch this Virgil versus Skinner first round match? <laughs> yes, I don't remember how much of the how much of it is on there, but I I'm pretty sure it, it for sure has the finals with Brett and IRS. So I'll tell you what, man, you got to be a pretty damn good match for me to watch a handheld. Or for me to watch, you know, just, but, oh, baby, this tournament, I don't think it's going to be high on my list uh, yeah. after we, after I go upstairs, uh, after we're done recording tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to look, I know I had at one point, like my tape collection listed on, on my files here. And I was trying to double check that I have, I'm, I'm like fairly certain that, uh, yeah, I, I have that. Anyways, let's talk about how they transition then to the pay-per-view, I guess. Sure. So, okay. So this was kind of not really a big deal other than the Harley race thing that we talked about um, in the non the pre-pay-per-view years. But uh, most people, when they think King of the Ring, I think, think of 1993 to 90 to eight. Uh, I've labeled this a 500 average, but some of the hits were big. Uh, and those hits, I certainly don't think I need to tell you guys, Bret Hart's tourney performance in 1993, one of the great one night efforts. We did a patron show. Mm-hmm. On that entire pay-per-view uh, where we applauded uh, Mr. Hart's efforts. And that was easily, I think, maybe you guys can correct me uh, with a different answer, the best King of the Ring pay-per-view, 93. Oh, in, terms, yeah. in terms of being based around the tournament, certainly. Yeah, it's not, I don't Justin. think it's even close. It's not yeah. even close, really. Yeah. Um, Owen winning in 94 made a lot of sense to set up the Brett rematch at SummerSlam, him doing what his older brother had done the year before and becoming the King of Hearts. I think we can mm-hmm. applaud that. Uh, and then obviously, I think when most people think of King of the Ring, they think Steve Austin in 96 and his all-timer 
promo. My mm-hmm. God, I, I thought you were going Mabel there. No, no, no. We're, we're, King we're, Mabel is what most people that that tournament, by the way, the bracket for ninety five is just awful. Well, we will file that one in the misses category, sir. But I have a question for you guys about Steve Austin here. Does he get to where he got if King of the Ring never happens? Like, if he cuts that promo in a just... If he just cuts that same promo else, like, at a random event and says what he said. Yeah, I I was going to say, it all comes down to how much you think his push was just from Austin 316. Because if you take that away, then maybe you can start wondering about things. But we've talked about it before. Months later, he was doing pre-show on for SummerSlam, right? Mm -hmm. That that tournament actually really didn't do anything immediate for him. Yeah. And he was not, of course, supposed to win it originally. Triple H was. And then he, Mm -hmm. he was punished for the click incident. Yeah. So it's kind of a happy accident. Yeah. <laughs> what happened uh, I, at the 96 King of the Ring? I think if anything, we can probably agree him winning the tournament got him, or at least certainly helped, get that first Brett match at Survivor Series 96. I, I know, and you guys would probably know this even better than I, you know, Brett wanted to work with Austin when he came back. He had an affinity for him going back to WCW. He's talked about that, but they probably don't put Austin in that position if he's not the King of the Ring. Yeah, because right. well, they had worked together on an overseas tour in '96. Yes. Um, post post WrestleMania 12, Brett like worked the tour while he was you know away on that sabbatical or whatever. He he worked these untelevised matches, and he he worked Austin during that tour, and then he yeah he had already touted him coming into the company because he had seen him in WCW, like you said, Kyle. And then when he got to work with him there, he definitely wanted him to be the guy he worked if he returned to the company in in October, which he did on television, but. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how they would have justified Austin in the position because, like Kyle or like Justin said, he didn't have a prime spot on SummerSlam two months later, but he was still King of the Ring, you know. And and he had started to to rise. Like they were putting him on the covers of the magazines. I think this was around the time that they had launched that uh, Raw magazine because they already had the WWF magazine. And remember, they had Raw, which was you know like the. They, I think they even put it in like a plastic bag for a while. It's supposed to be more controversial. They had more like swimsuit pictures of of all the women and stuff. And they, I think, one of the first editions of the Raw magazine was King of the Ring on the cover, Austin with the bloody lip, and it was like in black and white. I want to say, so like he was getting like the covers of the magazine and stuff. So he was definitely on the rise. So when Brett would call him out, you know, it made sense, and he was getting the spots on television where he had been calling Brett out for a couple of months too. Yeah, that's. Put the- it- Letter S in front of Hitman. And it's important to remember, especially back then, that when somebody won that tournament, it was actually treated like a big deal. They treated Owen like a big deal. And regardless of how you feel about him, Mabel was a big deal. He got the championship match against Diesel. Mm-hmm. So that that was definitely a feather in Steve Austin's cap. For sure, for sure. I just it was something I thought of here because I've got a larger picture in mind, obviously. And like if we can even somewhat established that maybe King of the Ring wasn't that big of a deal for Steve Austin, then maybe, you know, you could see why this uh, particular, oh, nice photo there. Uh, there it this is. That's the Raw per- Magazine on our video yeah. stream. Yeah. The, the, why, I mean, why this concept wasn't that big of a deal, but yeah, I think I think it did matter a little bit, um, the, certainly. For- in the sense, for one, getting that King of the Ring rub, but also, you know, just like if you can see on the screen here, this cover of 
uh, Austin with the bloody lip from the Mark Merrow match. Um, I mean, you could make the argument that all he really needed was a match against uh, Jake the Snake on a Raw, but I don't know, maybe you lose something if you don't have that bloody lip and uh, making him look like even more of a badass. Or, or standing mm-hmm. in front of the crown, or mm-hmm. in the throne, the throne, I should say, yeah. True. So, um, somebody mentioned, well, you both have mentioned 95. So let's talk about the misses here in King of the Ring history. Um, I, I already mentioned 94 with Owen winning, I think gets a thumbs up. That was the right call, no doubt about mm-hmm. it. But that pay-per-view, man, you get three hours of Art Donovan, something we've got to talk about here. And Vince at that time obviously had other things on his mind as the steroid trial was full blast and that he didn't even commentate that pay-per-view. Um, 94. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, 94. So, um, you know, that that show was not good. Roddy Piper and Jerry Lawler was the headliner. You know, two of the all-time greats, but that match so, t- <laughs> so bad. <laughs> um, it just did not I- work like that. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, Owen, Owen had good matches, though, in that tournament, like his match with Razor and one, two, three kid are good matches. So, I mean, like the tournament, it's not as up to the level of what Brett did the year before. But, you know, as a heel establishing himself and and showing, you know, that WrestleMania 10 wasn't a fluke. And he went out and had some pretty damn good matches that night, even with the announcing aside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. So Art Donovan, we had I loved how I posted on our Facebook page today that we were going to do this pod. This was the idea. King of the ring mm-hmm. history. First quote, good buddy, Mike Franquito, big fan of the show. Just wrote, writes art Donovan. So mm-hmm. we have to talk a little bit about Donovan because at least one person wants to hear about art Donovan. So do you guys remember those ESPN commercials? Art Donovan did Justin. I mean, you're my age, so you wouldn't mind. And Brian, maybe no. you're, you don't remember. He, it was, he was like that old guy who like would make these funny jokes. He was a Baltimore Colts legend. So, because the I'm show looking was it in, up right now. <laughs> okay, the show was in Baltimore, so they had Art Donovan, who was kind of popular in pop culture at the time, be the commentator. The issue is only people in Baltimore probably cared about that, and they were not listening to Art Donovan. And also, Art knew nothing about pro <laughs> wrestling, and I mean nothing. He was asking questions. Like when IRS came out, this guy looks like a businessman, Gorilla. Does he wrestle like that? <laughs> and he just kept asking the famous thing everyone talks about. He would continuous how much everyone weighed. The entire show, every guy. And he forgot that he picked Razor. Obviously, someone just like told him to pick Razor Remote in the headset early on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he had forgot midway. There's all these funny quotes here. Um, uh, you know, to Luna Vachon, what's the girl over there screaming at? And then, like, somebody kind of like tells him, he's like, "Oh, okay, I see. Now I get it." And it was like really awkward. And by the end of the show, Gorilla Monsoon, one of the most notorious no sellers of all time, if he was irritated, was just ignoring Art Donovan. Everything he said. I mean, Art would say something, and Gorilla would just not even acknowledge it. I believe he called him Artie O'Donnell, by the way, to open the pay per view. Uh, which Are was an done? ominous start. Uh, so not only did Art know nothing about wrestling, Gorilla Monsoon knew nothing about Art Donovan. So this was uh, <laughs> not exactly a match made in heaven at King of the Ring 94. Uh, what an event this was. So yeah, Art stunk. Uh, I think the mayor of Baltimore was on the show and said his favorite wrestler was Hulk Hogan, by the way, too. 
<laughs> oh no! <laughs> so, One yeah. month before uh, Bash yeah. at the Beach and Hogan yeah. Flair, yeah. So yeah, so Owen aside, this pay per view is not well regarded as a whole. Um, yeah. Owen and the Kid is a great match, and we should point out this is when Jim Neidhart came back to the company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brett brought him back to be in his corner for the Diesel match, but it turned out to be a ruse by the Anvil. And the Anvil joined up with Owen Hart, which was, I think, a, a smart call. But again, it, it, not a good show, and. You know, I don't need to tell you guys or our listeners, 1995, King of the Ring, an all-time bad pay-per-view with Mabel winning. Real real quick before you get to 95. I think okay. prob- probably all of us would agree on 94 that of the, the pay-per-view era, King of the Rings, Owen used the, the gimmick King stuff the best, right? Like that became part of his character for most of the rest of his career. The whole King of Hearts thing. I mean, yeah. it was on his tights like forever. Um and, you know, when you look at the history of the King of the Ring winners, a lot of times, you know, like it it did, he, it could do, it could do heels well. And Brett, like he had the crown, like the goofy crown and cape when he won, but then like he didn't keep it as part of his act. You know, mm-hmm. Owen did for a little while and like it, it worked for him. So I think like if you look at the pay-per-view era, as far as like using the King gimmick, like Owen is by far the best. Would you guys agree? Definitely. Yes, in terms of actually, like, because you're right, like, Brett, I mean, he actually lost the rights to be called King, if you remember in the Jerry Lawler feud at SummerSlam. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like, Austin really didn't, you know, he he never wore a crown or, you know, did anything even remotely regal. So, yeah, in terms of, like, the the King gimmick, which we'll talk about in a little bit later on when we examine, like, the post-pay-per-view King of the Rings, he did do a good job with it. I I think you're absolutely right. That's a very astute point by you. and was it ever specifically and now I don't remember, but like, was it just kind of under the table? Like fans started to kind of expect that maybe the the King of the Ring would get the championship opportunity at SummerSlam. Like, was that ever made acknowledged on television as, as being a stipulation? Because obviously, Brett didn't. His King of the Ring victory turned into that feud with Lawler, but Owen got the SummerSlam '94 match with Brett, and then Mabel, you know, got the SummerSlam match. With Diesel, unfortunately, an all-time yeah, classic. Yeah, so I'm looking that one. I'm looking that one up. If yeah, I don't remember if it was explicitly done. Like if that was yeah. on the line. Um, I don't remember that ever or, being acknowledged on television. But it was kind of like well, I remember it being made. Like you, you thought that he would get the title. I don't know. Like you, it was just kind of implied or something. I don't well, know. Well, the Mabel heel turn was so out of nowhere that they needed to do something like that to establish him as a champion, mm-hmm. uh, a chip contender. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, the only time I can say for certain it was explicitly stated was the last one, 2002, with Brock Lesnar. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That one, it absolutely was said, the winner of this tournament will challenge whoever the WF champion is at SummerSlam. And, and there's an argument I saw some people on Facebook um, when we were talking about this uh, today saying, ah, maybe that's a good idea. They should have always done it. It could have been, like, the Rumble to SummerSlam's, you know, it could have been, yeah, the, the Rumble to SummerSlam being WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to do it every year, but, I mean, it makes sense in certain instances. It certainly yeah. makes sense for Owen to establish him for that rematch and then and whatnot. You further establish him. I mean, he really had a, a uh, legit gripe anyway because he had beat Brett at Mania. Yeah. So, anyways, not to interrupt you, but let's let's get to ninety five because ninety five oh. is just that that bracket, not just the show itself. I mean, the bracket for the tournament. You could have had Undertaker and Shawn Michaels in the semis. Well, but, in, 
Instead, you got <laughs> Mabel, Mabel going over Undertaker in the quarterfinals, and Shawn Michaels and Kama going to a draw, a 15 minute draw. Giving Ma- so instead of Taker and Sean meeting in the next round, you got Mabel with no opponents in '95 gets the bye, moves on to the finals, and the other side of that bracket, Kyle Ross, the other four involved on the pay per view tournament, not great. <laughs> not, uh, not you great get at all. Uh, Bob Holly, his friends call him Sparky, uh, yep. or pardon me, Thurman Plug, his friends call him Sparky. The roadie. Um, Yokozuna and Sa- substitute Savio Vega, who got pushed all the way to the final. Uh, I'm looking here. Th- this was pre pay per view. I remember this actually. Vividly. He was sub for Razor. Yeah, Razor was injured. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and Savio went all the way to the final. I, I don't know what the hell they were thinking there, but um, I see Doink um was a first round because they did the first they did the qualifying matches on Raw in those days. Mm-hmm. I remember. When Doink came out for the uh, qualifying match, uh, my brother and I were sitting watching this, and we're like, "God, I hope Doink isn't in this." And we heard, doo, 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 doo. and we're like, "Oh no!" <laughs> like Babyface Doink by '95 was the drizzling shits, and so was this event as a whole. I mean, look, it's always mocked. I mean, it's won a lot of, um wouldn't say awards but i think it's kind of been noted by a lot of people as maybe the worst big five pay-per-view ever if you want to mm-hmm. you know include the, it was just panned universally at the time with you know Ma- M- mabel if that was your guys's reaction to doink i can only imagine what your reaction was to mantar coming out <laughs> to face bob holly yeah I, I, I always remember jim Cornette's face when he was out there with mantar just like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, like I have no chance to get this over. This sticks, Mantar. Yeah, this sh- <laughs> this show is isn't this show famous because there was a lot of very audible ECW chants. It was in yes, Philadelphia. It was in Philly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, oh. Brett and Jerry Lawler in the Kiss My Foot match, not yeah, part of the King of the Ring tournament, but on the show. Yeah, as was being de-emphasized at this time at the behest of the Click, uh, those sorry sons <laughs> of bitches. But uh, and then the, <laughs> let's not forget the main event of this show, the advertised main event. One of the most, I, I, I'm not lying, people. Uh, Diesel and his good friend, Bam Bam Bigelow, even though the click was busy burying him behind the scenes, against Sid and Tatanka, who, in his words, not mine, did what his people should have done all those years ago and take the money. <laughs> no. That's what he said. Don't get mad at me. I know. So I, you know, I, that's what he said. I was after SummerSlam '94. Wasn't that? Weren't you watching this when your wife heard that and was appalled? No, she. It was a different. It was I, great callback to the Patreon show. That was the '93. <laughs> she saw to tie. It's like okay. the music hit, and my God, her eyeballs popped out of her head. She goes, "What? Are, are you sure that line <laughs> didn't come from a John Gruden email?" <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> no, Tatanka said it. I just did what he turned heel. I just did what my people should have done all those years ago. Oh, no. That's real bad. It's real bad, and so is King of the Ring 95. Can't stress that enough. Um, Just uh, as a bit of a side, how could you make this show better? Well, there's a lot of ways, obviously, but I just wanted to share with you guys. I think you'll enjoy this. Um, It shouldn't surprise you that I would 
if I was given the book for 1995 WF, basically scrapped the entire damn thing, <laughs> right? Uh, nothing really worked uh, for the majority of that year. But looking back, I would have had Sid beat Diesel for the title at the first in your house to establish in your house as a must-watch thing. And then, and Diesel was hurt too. He, he had an elbow issue, I believe, at that time, so he could take some time off. Have Sean win King of the Ring. That makes sense. Everyone thought he was going to coming in. That was everyone's like, oh, Sean's going to win this for sure. People did not think Mabel was going to win this tournament. Um, have Sean go on to beat Sid for the title? Because remember, they had he, coming off the WrestleMania angle where Sid turned on him the night after. And Sean's the new champ by SummerSlam. You can have D- a jealous Diesel come back and turn heel. That's your fall program into Rumble. WrestleMania 12, Sean defending against Brett. And if Sean's working, maybe he wins. If Sean's kind of sucking his champ, we go back to Brett. I think that's a lot better booking than what they did personally. It's easy to say with 25 years of hindsight, but whatever. Although the problem is that Brett was leaving after 12 for a while, taking a break. Would he have left, though, in that scenario? True, if they would have put the belt back on. (laughs) If they would have put the belt on him, he would have stayed. If not, then, you know, maybe he could have still done it. I I mean, he did the match anyway. If the roles mm-hmm. are reversed, so I mean, it, it would have been interesting to see what they would have got him to re-sign up front. Like you're going to have a long title run through Survivor yeah. Series again or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I, just, I, I just think any way to end that Diesel run earlier than they did is a smart yeah. play. Maybe he yeah. could have actually worn the title on Lonesome Dove. That would have been sweet. <laughs> yes. Very Hell yeah. Um, 96, do you want to talk about that one? I mean, I mean we talked sure. about Austin, obviously, a little bit. Anything else we need to... No, not really. Um, my let's go to '97. My same question, which was a shitty tournament, an absolute dog shit tournament. I think, as a tournament overall, probably the worst. It was only eight men. Triple H was eliminated initially, but got back in, and like Goldust and Jerry Lawler was one of the quarterfinals which led to a very regrettable promo at the time mm-hmm. by Jerry Lawler um, mm-hmm. that we actually talked about on our Facebook page once. But um, I'm going to ask the same question about Triple H than I did Austin. You can retcon it and say, oh, Triple H is this big star and he won King of the Ring. That makes King of the Ring look so cool. But like, I think even more so than Austin, like he, he didn't really get going right after that King of the Ring. We joked about it when we just did the one night only uh, review. For patrons, you know, summer of 97, Triple H went from a not very over Greenwich snob to someone who could carry Shawn Michaels bags. And for that, we should applaud him. (laughs) Yeah, it's I ordered this pay-per-view live. I've told that story many times on the pod (laughs) (laughs) because they were supposed to have Brett and Shawn at this pay-per-view. They announced it, then they canceled it. I had already ordered the show and we rented the cable box and everything. So I watched it live. And yeah, Hunter winning this tournament just did nothing for did nothing for him it was just kind of a a downer all around the, like the final four on the on the pay-per-view wasn't great either i mean ahmed was pretty hot in 97 still he was hotter in 96 yeah but you know hunter taking him out and then in lawler and mankind okay so you get hunter and mankind in the finals preview what's to come at SummerSlam when they have the cage match you know it's an okay match but yeah, I don't know. Hunter, Hunter winning it, like, I was not into Hunter Hearst Helmsley 
at all. And this, like you said, Kyle, this did nothing for him with the crowd. And he I mean, didn't he didn't do anything of importance until Shawn Michaels lifted him up. Nobody yeah. cared about Hunter Hearst Dumsley. Yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't until he stopped curtsying and put the polo shirts on and started saying, who is the icon? You know, that that's what yeah. really kind of got him going. Um, yeah. We should point out, because you mentioned something that's very interesting, um, Ryan, and, and we need to let the listeners know if they already don't. Starting in 96, and they did it in 97, like you said, in 98, and then again in 01, only the semis and the finals on the pay-per-view, that was lame. And I think a sign that they were, they meaning creative, Vince, obviously, um, we're losing faith as the tournament as a pay-per-view draw or gimmick. Yeah. I, I hated that because it was the, the show was called King of the Ring, but it was really no longer being built around the tournament. Mm-hmm. I think I eight think. people in the tournament on pay-per-view, like they did with Brett, yes. showcase a worker like Brett, you know, make this sh- show to legitimize, like, look, this guy can have three different matches. He's a great worker. That, that's... That's a boon to the pay-per-view. It's something that you can get hardcore fans behind that they want to order the show to see see someone like that work three times. Four, yeah, not gonna do not gonna do too much for you. You couldn't have like a sixteen-man tournament like they were doing no. at the house shows in the eighties. Uh, we saw those bigger tournaments not work well uh, with WrestleMania four. You know, for mm-hmm. example, you end up getting some really short matches and stuff. But I think eight was the sweet spot. If they could have held it at eight and made it kind of a worker showcase, it could work. Yeah, I it just, you know, we'll talk about WWE and its relationship with tournaments a little bit later on, but I agree. I mean, if the show's going to be built on King of the Ring, it should be, you know, the King of the Ring should dominate the pay-per-view, not just be like three matches, like the two, you know, the two at the beginning and then one that's not even at the end. You know, I mean, 96, 97, it wasn't even the main event of the show. There was always a world title match, um, which I guess brings us to 98, which is, I think, an interesting one to evaluate. Because obviously, when you think of King of the Ring '98, everyone thinks of the same thing. It's Undertaker and Foley and Hell in a Cell, and that's justifiably so. They should think of that. Um, but that's you know not part of the tournament, obviously. So you know people aren't even at that point thinking of the tournament itself when championing the pay per view. A uh, little bit of a discussion here on Facebook we had with Ken Shamrock winning. I thought Shamrock was the right call. In 98, if you go back and watch, it was a way for him to get over on The Rock, you know, because he had been feuding with The Rock most of 98, and they did a lot of dusty finishes where he didn't win the IC title. So him pinning him in a scenario where he didn't have to, Rock could keep the IC title, I think was smart. And look, it's a testament to Rocky. Uh, He still got over. I think he did okay. (laughs) You know, I, I, I don't think he needed that win. Really, in retrospect, I think he did just okay. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I know Shamrock isn't at the level of some of the other winners, the Bretts, the Austins, what have you, but it's like a, he had a good 1998. I liked Robo Shamrock in the heel role for the corporation. Yeah. I don't know what you got. You, you, look at, you look at the 98 bracket and... I don't remember being like particularly invested in it at the time, but now with what 23 years of hindsight, when you look back at it and you see some of the matches, even going back to like the first round on TV that aired when they had their, you know, 16 people originally were in it. And then they had first round quarterfinals on TV. You see some matches where you're like, your curiosity is you're, you're, you're intrigued a little bit, 
You know, mm-hmm. you yep. got Triple H and X Pac. You got Owen Hart and, and Scorpio, Two Cold Scorpio, Vader and The Rock. You know, like a lot of legends that are paired up together. Which at the time, like I said, I wasn't. I don't remember being that in, enthralled with this tournament. But looking back now, it's kind of like, oh, I kind of want to check that out now a little bit. To- totally agree, but also very telling of the time is mm-hmm. even just looking at the first round in the match lengths, the longest one was five minutes and 16 seconds. Owen Hart and Scorpio. <laughs> yeah. They were wow. all under. Wow. That. Yeah. You know, we've reviewed a 98 raw before you weren't getting a lot of TV time in raw. I mean, matches no. <laughs> did not go that long. Um, you know, in that TV draft we just did last week, we were, you know, that two man power trip against Benoit and Jericho, which is not more than a 15 minute match. I don't think was considered astounding at the time in 2001, but yeah, yeah. you guys are right there. This is kind of an interesting bracket. I, it was certainly an improvement over 97. I know everyone was thinking they were going to do shamrock versus seven in the final. The two UFC guys, but um, Rock beating Severn on the pay-per-view in the semi was considered a bit of an upset and the right call. Mm -hmm. And Severn, God bless him, was a great UFC fighter in his day, but a very boring professional wrestler. (laughs) Yes, agreed. (laughs) I want to hold this face as long as I can. (laughs) (laughs) Never had much to say, Dan Severn. Nope. Yes. Um, ninety nine. Uh, no, actually, I wanted to say one thing here. Okay. Um, before we move on to those, uh, if you're wondering, like I did, about how King of the Ring did pay per view buy wise uh, compared to the other big five in this era, it did do more uh, pay per view buys than Survivor Series in both ninety three and ninety five. Uh, came close in ninety six, but. You know, obviously, it never would touch a Rumble or SummerSlam, but it, you know, if you're beating Survivor Series, I guess you've got a viable place as a big five, I guess. Um, and for the record, it, you know, I kind of was aghast at it beating Survivor Series in 95, given how much we ripped on King of the Ring in 95. But um, the 95 Survivor Series did the all time record low. For a big five pay per view, I think it only did like 125,000 buys. Mm. I want to hold this face as long as I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you guys need to be watching on YouTube. Yeah. It, it was 125 or 150. It was something just absolutely fucking heinous. So, yeah, that's so, so it's, it's okay. I think if you, if, you know, we're doing this podcast in 98 and you're like, tell me about King of the Ring. I'm probably saying, well, I'd like to see the, you know, have eight matches on the, you know, an eight man turn around the pay-per-view again, but it's okay. It belongs on the pay-per-view calendar, right? Is that a fair comment? Do you think? Can you guys remember yes. your yeah. 18 or Ryan 15 year old self? Mm-hmm. You probably would have thought yeah, that. Okay. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the decline of King of the Ring as a pay-per-view concept, shall we? <laughs> Billy <19. Gun? laughs> dude it's even just evident when you look at this bracket compared to 98 how like i think the 99 roster in wwf is pretty weak compared to 98 and i mean i even just saw this i did a thing with uh haydorn over at the torch like about a year ago where we looked at austin's um 99 pay-per-view run and it was just like so much repetition there wasn't a lot for him to work with at the top of the card 
And the undercard in 99 just wasn't great either. Now, obviously, in 2000, it improved a lot with the influx of some new talent and everything. But 99, this King of the Ring bracket, man, it is a big step back from 98, I got to say. Yeah, 99 is, you know, the um, one of the more critically reviled years in WWE. And certainly, like, it's crazy because it was such a popular year for WWE. Mm-hmm. Like, at the beginning part of the year, they arguably had their strongest mainstream penetration ever. Remember, that was when Austin got the Rolling Stone cover. They, like, yep. destroyed the NBA playoffs in the ratings on TV. I know there's always so much dis- discourse here in 2021 about sports and how it takes a bite out of wrestling's ratings at that time period, you know, late 98, early 99. Remember like the NFL was scratching its head over Monday night football. Like (laughs) raw was like taking a bite out of Monday night football in the demo. So it's odd, but you're right. Ryan, to your point, 99 stinks. And I think for most people that when they think of 1999 WWF, at least the first eight or nine months, they think Vince Russo, right? That was when he had his, strongest influence on the product and it just when you go back it it's not great to rewatch 99 and um certainly your boy mr ass love the gun club in aew i love i mean love is maybe a strong word but i enjoy them a little bit more you know just because i think they're where they should be on the card but billy gunn winning king of the ring is not where he should have been on the card (laughs) in 1999 just a real cataclysmic mistake i thought full full disclosure it didn't Uh really bother me at the time you know talking about looking at the roster in you know if not him who and you know i always thought he had the look of somebody who could maybe take that step up into a a main event maybe a semi-main event scene and you look at like a lot of the past winners and that's kind of what they were it's like oh this could be the next guy and a lot of them did end up being you know having really strong runs um I always thought Billy Gunn had the look. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of other stuff holding him back, and he never quite got there. Uh, bad gimmicks, you know, being number one. But um, in, in the moment, I was actually, oh, let's see what they're going to do with this Billy Gunn push. That's interesting, because when we criticize booking, what's the first question you should always ask? Well, what would you do instead? Mm-hmm. And it's tough. I think, you know, 95, I laid it out, and I feel very comfortable with what I laid out in 95. Here, I don't. As much as Billy Gunn stunk as a winner, based on you know what followed, and by the way, Chad, I know you're listening. Okay, we always reference him once on the show. No, he should not have beaten The Rock at SummerSlam. Okay, stop. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know he's he's cursing. You know he's freaking eating some Doritos. Listening to the pod right here. You know, oh, you know, talking about it. No, he should. And I I loved listening to Bruce's podcast, and we'll talk about Bruce again a little bit later on. Conrad's like, how did Rock feel about working with Mr. Ass? And Bruce is like, hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Remember when he like completely would just eviscerate him in promos and and Mr. Ass was saying like, uh, okay, I guess I'm not as good. Yeah, but you're right. It's tough to make a case for someone else at this point in 99. I I think if you could back up even further, um, Justin, had they not like jobbed out the big show so early in his run, I think like again, this would have gone against your work rate concept, Ryan. But I think mm-hmm. like big show just winning three matches in dominant fashion and maybe going on to wrestle Austin 
would have been a mm-hmm. smart move. Or Triple H could have used it in 99. Because remember, he struggled to get over pre-Stephanie. Yeah. You know, he, he was, he was you know, it, it was a fight to get him over at this period. Yeah, looking at the roster, I mean, the only other thing I can think of is they could have tried to get some headlines by having China win it. Ryan. <laughs> I mean... Ryan, they had her win the IC. They had her win the IC <laughs> yeah. title. She was yeah, in the Royal Rumble. Yeah, you know, I like I could have seen that happening. Yeah, and I don't give a damn what anyone says. That sucked. Someday <laughs> we're going to talk about. Someday the, we're I mean, talk- I'm just saying. I'm not saying I would have done it. I'm saying like that's the only okay. other like way I could see them doing that to try to get some mainstream attention. You know, what but. if I told you that I have probably never been more irrationally fired up watching wrestling than I was when Road Dog beat China in this tournament. <laughs> I remember watching this live, screaming at the television. If China wins, I'm done. <laughs> China. So, w- one day on this pod, we will talk about Survivor Series '99 when they had China beat Chris Jericho, and I will use some of the most just over the top, explicit language that has ever been said on a wrestling <laughs> podcast. <laughs> One of the most disgusting things to ever take place on a WWE pay-per-view and think of around that covers. But again, like this is the problem. You look at it and that roster, at least for the tournament, but I think as a company as a whole on the undercard just wasn't. It wasn't there. No, you're right. And I mean, Austin didn't want to work with some of these up and comers like the Jarrett's and the guns and and same with Rockies. But you referenced earlier, Ryan, and this will make a nice transition. The roster was much better in 2000. Oh, yeah. Because the Radicals came in. Jericho had come in by that time. This is the year where I gave up on King of the Ring as a pay-per-view concept. Look at the names in this tournament. There were no good matches. If you can't, with with the Jerichos, the Redacteds, the Guerreros, the Angles, if you're not having good matches in a tournament format, then scrap this piece, man. 32 competitors. 32. Yeah, but like, I mean, that pay-per-view, I think, was regarded as the worst WF pay-per-view of 2000. I they mean, did go back to having the the quarterfinals on the pay-per-view. Yes. So they did have, Well, yeah, they, in 99, people. they did too, I think. Okay. I'm almost positive they did. But yeah, they did it. And you're like, oh, I remember when they announced, I was like, holy shit, 32 guys? And the names are like, I'm like, all right, king of the ring. They're going to do this right. And they didn't. That was a bad show. Yeah. Briscoe v. Patterson didn't help in a non-tournament <laughs> match, but um, I mean, it was bad that show. That 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 to me is when King of the Ring died, when, when they couldn't have any good matches here. Which is too bad because it's an inspired choice to win it with Kurt Angle, the correct yeah. winner, absolutely. But yeah, they, you, they did. You almost had a. Uh... You almost had two ass-inspired King of the Rings in back-to-back years. You could have had Billy Gunn and Rikishi the next year with the stink face. <laughs> it, it, it was just absolute trash that they had. You know, with Je- they had Jericho, Benoit, and Guerrero all lose in the quarterfinals. I know Jericho worked angle. Um, that should have been the final, in my opinion. You look yeah. at where those two were, the the ascendancy they were going on. That should have been your final for sure. I think there was a lot of drama. But all three of those guys lose in the quarterfinal. Instead, we have Crash Holly, God rest his soul. Rikishi and Val Venus do not, God rest his soul. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, ladies. I've got some shitty political takes. 
Did he get yeah. banned from Twitter.com, by the way? <laughs> I don't I don't even remember, man. I think he I, should be. I don't know if I blocked him or he blocked me a while ago, but yeah, you look at the names in this tournament though, when you go back to the 32 names and the fact that you end up with Crash Holly, Rikishi, and Val Venus, when at the very beginning you had Eddie Guerrero in this tournament, uh Dean Malenko, redacted, <laughs> um, Perry Saturn, you know, like a ton of talent, Edge. As you mentioned, Jericho, and that's the final four we end up with. Yeah. Come and on, Rikishi was over to his crowd. He I mean, was Rikishi's over. Rikishi's yeah. a guy who should have got a run, but like, come on, man. Well, I, I still feel though that King of the Ring always needed to be a workhorse tournament. Yes, though. it did, and they, WWE never does workhorse tournaments. We'll talk about it mm-hmm. a little bit later on. Um, Two thousand one, the tournament was really de-emphasized. If people remember, they were thinking people were interested in the WCW invasion. Going to that show, that DDP showed up uh, at that pay per view to reveal himself as the stalker of the under. Or yeah. he might have. I don't know if he did on Raw first, or did he reveal himself at King of the Ring? I can't remember. I feel like it was Raw, but I, I can't remember for okay, sure. Okay, but regard. I know they had this atrocious brawl. Him and Taker, where Taker just kicked his ass and killed the angle dead. <laughs> right there, and Booker made his debut on that pay per view. So no one was really talking. Uh, Angle had a match against Shane McMahon, which was pretty wild. If you guys yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's the thing is that the the tournament was only used to get to that match because I, yes. I believe in Angle's first match, uh, Shane made made sure he won, and then cost him the match in the uh, the King of the Ring finals. Yeah, mm-hmm. so King of the Ring is setting up other matches on the show, and that's again that's an excellent point by Justin Joint that, you know, it's just at this point a complete mid-card thing. Um, 2002, you would think Brock winning and earning a WWE title shot would make for a good pay-per-view. It did not! <laughs> that show also was not well-regarded. I believe it was in Ohio in Columbus. Had a real stinker, of a, a real stinker mm-hmm. of a title match, Triple H and The Undertaker. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, our love for Paul Levesque on this podcast. God, you talk about two people I just despised in 2002. Yeah. Triple H and The Undertaker. Holy God almighty. <sighs> Biker Taker era. Yeah. Not great. Never got behind it. You and I really went off about that in our Backlash 02 recap. Yep. Also available for patrons. Yes. Man, that archive on Patreon, got to say, strong. 50 plus podcasts. That's a good I mean, one. It's the finest thing for wrestling today. Yeah. Outside of <laughs> AEW? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, looking at these four, 99 to 2002, only 2,000 top Survivor Series in terms of number of buys. Uh, was pretty close over the last, or over the other three years. So it's still holding its own as a big five, but ultimately it is abandoned as a pay-per-view mm-hmm. concept in 2002. And I'm going to mention this now. It's later in the notes, but I think it fits well now. I was listening to a Bruce Pritchard podcast many years ago, and this stuck with me. I didn't even have to look it up or anything. It, it will always stick with me. Um, he was telling a story, and this is great, too, because he can't run from it because they weren't doing King of the Ring. And Bruce, I don't think, was even back with the company at this point. So, But he couldn't cover for, you know, he would never say this now because they're doing King of the Ring again. But Bruce told this story that the creative team in 2003 was getting ready to put together King of the Ring. And Vince walks in and he's like, well, what are you guys up to? He's like, oh, we're putting together King of the Ring. 
And Vince goes, I, I, I'm not making this up. King of the Rig. King of the Rig sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and Why does it suck, Vince? <laughs> yeah. And Who's responsible for that? If our listeners remember anything from this podcast, I want them to remember that. That the chairman of the board. So when I'm ripping on King of the Ring here, and perhaps you know, you know, throwing a little shade on your childhood memories, folks. The chairman of the board said this concept sucked to his own creative team. <laughs> King of the Ring sucks. What's interesting is that was a Bad Blood 03 recap that they were doing, and so uh, that was the first brand only pay per view. So like. It, I don't know if they just abandoned it because they wanted to do the brand only. I don't know if King of the Ring would be a raw only thing or what it was. It was just a convenient way to drop it. But I, I think that is eye-opening that Vincent Kennedy McMahon told his creative team, this concept sucks. That's all you need to know, yeah. sports yeah. fans. But despite those quotes, Vince um, was, I assume, talked into bringing it back uh, in later years. Uh, it was revived sporadically. These tournaments occurred solely on TV. They were not pay-per-views. Uh, Booker T wins it in 2006. For the record, I'd say Booker T behind uh, Owen Hart probably used the actual gimmick the best. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll mention that here in a second because somebody actually tweeted about this today. A, an interesting name tweeted about that. But Booker won it Six Regal 08, Shame 2010, uh, Wade Barrett in 2015, and then Baron Corbett in 2019. What do all those people have in common? All heel winners. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Justin, you just made a very astute point about King Booker pulling off the crown so well, and he went on to actually win the championship as the king. Uh, mm-hmm. It was so over the top, it worked. But uh, Brian Gewertz, former head writer of Raw uh, in, you know, the Ruthless Aggression era, had it, how timely, he tweeted this today as we recorded it. He was ripping on the idea of everyone having to become this cartoon king. He did acknowledge that Booker pulled it off well. But he's like, what do you guys think of that? We talked a little bit about it with, you know, race and Owen, how they were able to kind of keep it above the fray, the gimmick, but like being this cartoon King that they do is just terrible. It makes the guys look like such a mid card act like Corbin Mm -hmm. and whatnot, you know, didn't like the rock, like just like buried him, like how he looked. Yeah. The Corbin thing was just cringeworthy. It went on just forever and ever and ever. None of these people did anything. I mean, Sheamus maybe had kind of an okay run around that time. There it is. What a great tweet by you. Or a great, uh, great <laughs> find produ- by production you. Production, and I got it on the video tweet. screen yes, great, now. Yeah. Great production there. With you. There's the Gewertz tweet right there. But, um, yeah. you know, if it'll never happen, but the winner of King of the Ring doesn't need to, hashtag King of the Ring, doesn't need to magically transform into a king afterwards. Legally, the winner of the French Open doesn't have to wear a beret, carry a baguette, <laughs> and scream. Uh, help me with my French here, Ryan. Saker blue? Saker, Saker I took blue. German. I don't know. Okay. For a year. Plus, no one will yeah. ever top uh, at Booker, Booker T, T five times. So, yeah, I agree. I also loved, by the way, how WWE tweeted out this picture of Sami Zayn today. 
wearing the crown and everyone thought it was Jim Duggan. (laughs) There were multiple people on my timeline saying, gotta be honest, thought that was Jim Duggan. Now I got to find that talk while I find this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I got to, I got to pull up my production skills and find that on short notice. Okay. Yeah. Um, Justin, I mean the, the cartoon King, that that's not a main event thing. If you want it, like, you know, some people are able to, you know, like Owen can use it and be a main event gimmick, but like mm-hmm. just being this dopey, like you know, like high school play king, it, it's stinks. It's situational. <laughs> you you got to have a plan in place. Maybe some good ideas. You know, like with uh, King Booker, they had the King's Court. You know, which helped mm-hmm. him out. You know, his 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 band of goons. But yeah, no, just just to have somebody wear a crown and that be the gimmick. I mean. You, you just as well go back to the days of you know having occupations as gimmicks. There's there's really no difference. Yeah, I, it's just uh, really just sad. And I mean, like w- w- your favorite memories of Bad News Barrett in 2015. That is, that's where because he already had a good gimmick. Yeah, remember they they didn't like it though. Like I th- I agree. Like I thought him coming out. That got like that was over. I, I thought. I don't think it got heat, but people reacted. But at least yeah. I'm afraid I've got some bad news. Um, but you know, I mean, other than book, ah, this just didn't do anything. Yeah. Okay. There. Oh, there's the. Is picture. that the picture? There. Yeah. Yeah. That that's the picture. Yeah. WWE. If Sami Zayn became King of the Ring, what would his first role of creepy? Doesn't it kind of look like Jim Duggan a little bit? Yeah, I think it was Voices bit. of Wrestling that said it. So I could be wrong, but um, yeah, that 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 was those were the post-pay-per-view years. Um, they've, of course, brought it back this year with the added bonus of the Queen's Crown. Maybe we could touch on that a little bit here uh, as we bring this podcast home. But I wanted to ask you guys a question, you guys, two very smart fans. Why hasn't King of the Ring been all that successful despite the big names winning it, like Brett and Austin or Triple H or Angle? You know, it's just to me, it, I mean, the fact that it was abandoned as a pay-per-view concept and Vince McMahon said it sucked. I mean, that kind of, you know, let's kind of kind of figure out where the disconnect is that. I, I think part of it is just winning and getting a crown and, you know, getting a moniker instead of getting an actual title opportunity. You know, everybody, obviously the Royal Rumble is pretty unique compared to most other things. Uh but you still, you win, you get a championship. Now, it wasn't always the case. Um, not that you get a championship. You get a championship match at WrestleMania. Um, it wasn't always the case, but it was a nice refresher. And personally, if they would have treated the King of the Ring more like uh, the Olympics or a World Cup, you know, maybe it comes around every three years. That way you're not shoehorned into every year having to put somebody in a world title match, you know, especially at SummerSlam. Because you probably want to build storylines instead of just tournaments. But, you know, New Japan did it pretty successfully for years where they they kind of just have tournaments that get you to your next feud. Um, so it should have worked. But especially in those, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, it really wasn't about match quality. It wasn't about work rates. It was about hokey storylines. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's all about the stakes. 
you know, like, oh, okay, you win King of the Ring and you get the crown and you wear the dumb cape and who cares? Like, what does that matter? I think if they could have firmly established this as SummerSlam title opportunity, it could have been much better long term. But also just WWE, as I know you're going to talk about, Kyle, in the notes here, just doesn't do tournaments well. No. And it's just like the way the promotion has been run, like it's never been the workhorse promotion. And you kind of have to be that to have a, a good tournament. You know, like look at New Japan. I think, you know, we've we've talked about in the past how like in the 80s, if I would have been older, you know, I probably would have been more of a Crockett person just because of the, the style of wrestling that I mm-hmm. like. I wasn't old enough to make that. You know, I liked the characters more when I was a kid. But if I would have been my age now in the 80s or like even a teenager, like I would have been tuning into that kind of wrestling. And I feel like when you're going to see someone wrestle multiple times, you know, perhaps in one night like Brett and Owen did, you you need to be able to have different kinds of matches. And we know like today, WWE doesn't do that. They have nope. guys work all the same way, and that's not going to play into a tournament style very well. So like AEW, I think, you know, they're going to do the Owen Hart tournament. That could be really good because they let people have freedom. This WWE tournament this year has not been good. And really, like ever since they went away from the Brett and Owen tournaments, he never let anyone stand out like work rate wise. And if if you don't have the work rate aspect to a tournament, it's never going to work in the way that fans want to see. Because if you're just booking your promotion behind characters, if you see the character too much over and over and over, you get tired of it. So the tournament just gets tiresome, I feel like. Yeah, there's a certain way you have to book a tournament. And yeah, you you alluded to it, right? The WWE just doesn't do that well. I think Vince McMahon probably, if I had to guess, just doesn't like tournaments. He, he's done them before. I mean, WrestleMania 4 was a tournament. You you joked about that. And, you know, I, I, as a vehicle to get Randy Savage the WWE title, I guess it worked. But getting there was pretty bad. <laughs> You know, I mean, I think the individual pieces weren't good. Um, it's just, yeah, you know, people love tournaments, right? I mean, March Madness is one of the most popular things in this country. And people mm-hmm. love looking at the bracket and picking mm-hmm. who's going to win. WWE, I, I, I don't know if Vince just isn't into that kind of thinking or what. It's just, you know, it's never really like, oh, you know, we could have this matchup, you know, down the line. or there, You know, it kind of requires... You know, I hate when people say this, but, you know, that, you know, real, you know, that real sports build or whatever. You need to kind of turn that way. And it's just not in the WWE's wheelhouse. Um, Honestly, the best tournament they ever did besides 93 King of the Ring. Well, the best tournament to ever take place under the WWE banner was the Cruiserweight Classic, which not coincidentally had nothing to do with Vince McMahon. (laughs) (laughs) So work. Right. Yes. Yeah. But. I think in terms of like, you know, people are going to raise their eyebrows when I say this is the deadly game at Survivor Series, mm-hmm. which had no good. Ma- it had no good matches whatsoever, but they actually like kind of told the story throughout mm-hmm. that. Um, now, the way they did it is not for everybody, but I, I think it, that's the best way you're ever going to get like a Vince McMahon book tournament. I, I don't think he's ever going to book a tournament the way fans like us want or certainly like they do in other promotions like New Japan. But, okay, but, you know, that's the thing is, and it's something we've railed against over and over and over again, ad nauseum, is that tournament, Deadly Games, that was used 
because they had the story in mind and the time to do it and the, in the time at the right spot. Whereas today, just like with uh, a hell in a cell or elimination chamber where it's shoehorned into a schedule instead of done at the right time, a tournament done at the right time could still work. Yes, that it were it really worked perfectly. They had like so many different things going on with you know the Austin McMahon feud and then Rock turning heel. I mean, it, it was really a perfect storm the way they did it. They should be commended for that. Here's another thing, and this is something Meltzer wrote years ago. Can't remember when he wrote it, but it was like talking about uh, tournaments as a pay per view concept with American wrestling fans, and obviously wrestling fans have changed over time, but. People kind of want to know what they're buying as a pay-per-view. So this is kind of just referring to King of the Ring as a pay-per-view concept. Do people not like, do the, like particularly WWE fans not really get into the idea of, tur- they don't really know what the big match is going to be. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't I'm- know if I buy that because, you know, if you're buying a pay-per-view, it's, pro- I mean, even if you set it up with just the semifinals, you should have two good matches right there. And then you should have intrigue on at least two guys. And that's why you'd be buying is because they should be able to build enough intrigue into seeing one of those guys go on to win the tournament. Should and did are two different things though. I think it just, Correct. it only yeah. seems to me with like the WWE fit, like, you know, and who deserves the blame or what we could go on and on. But I, I just think that like, the WWE, they've never done a good job at kind of getting over the tournament concept where people would care, like how you just mentioned, I think, just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, you know, I think, you know, for many, many years, wrestling fans, you know, they just were interested in the big match, right? Um, Not necessarily like, okay, you know, here's 14 guys and hopefully we'll get like a really big thing. You know, I mean, in wrestling at four, in that case, they actually, you know, that was built around Hogan and Andre for the third time in a second match. And even then, I don't know if it was too quick to come back with that or what, but that show did not do well on pay-per-view at all, um, relatively speaking. And um, King of the Ring, as we talked about, okay, it beat Survivor Series a couple of years, but it didn't do well either. I, I just thought that was interesting that maybe, I, you know, the, the, the again, I, today it's different. But in like the early 90s, the WWF fan, I think maybe they were just like, ooh, what match is going to happen? You know, I, I will say I, I do believe that WrestleMania 4 definitely put the seed in Vince McMahon's mind or head that tournaments don't work. But I, I don't think I would blame the actual tournament on people not buying that pay-per-view or doing a lesser number. I think you got a lot of other factors. There were. I remember I was into it. You know, I mean, I think yeah. we've all three talked about it. we like the idea of wrestling tournaments. It's just that yeah. this company, by the way, the first WWF pay-per-view, what was it? A tournament, the wrestling classic mm-hmm. in 85. So, I mean, there's some affinity for it, but I don't know. I, I think Vince just doesn't really like it. And my guess is he had to be talked into it, bringing it back again this year um, for sure. You know, I mean, like, you just look at it's just something to tell his buddy, the crown prince. Oh, hey, we're doing the king of the ring and the queen's crown. You know, in, yeah. it's, it's, and, in, in today's uh, landscape, it seems like a no brainer, like especially with the last 10 years with the way the, the roster has been filled out to 
to fill out your TV with how boring and monotonous it can get, have a tournament. Even if yeah. it's just for like for an, uh, a vacated IC or US championship or, you know, something, um, just put some stakes on it and let it go for like a month of shows. Yeah, and the way they're doing it now is really heinous, in my opinion, where it's just like two random matches within a three or two hour show. Like the show, like it doesn't even, like it just feels like, oh, and these are the king of the ring matches. But then like <laughs> th- those end, and it's like, all right, well, let's go to the other parts of the program. Yeah. Like there's just no stakes whatsoever in it. Um, You know, there's not enough big names. Th- this, like this year in particular, both the men and the women, there's just not enough big names. Like, why were these people pulled? First of all, you're starting with eight people only. Why is Jinder Mahal in it? <laughs> um, and, you know, freaking Dewdrop. <laughs> Dewdrop, yes. So, I mean, this Kyle's is just rooting the, hard for Dewdrop. Yeah. In the old days, when they would, go, when, you know, you would go back to the qualifying matches and there were 16 people in it, the roster size, going back to Justin's point, was. Small enough where it felt like anyone who was worth a damn was part of it. Here in 2021, it just feels like they just picked eight random people out of a hat. I mean, Mm -hmm. and if the big names don't want to be in it and aren't talking about it, why should I as a fan care? And and that goes back to the 90s. It was like, okay, well, this show is going to be built around a WWF title match. And, you know, there's going to be a semi-main. You know, the established top guys, well, they're not. They're too good for King of the Ring. And then King of the Ring is just like your eight mid-carters. That's just not the way to build a pay-per-view concept. I know that's never coming back as a pay-per-view concept probably, but that's why it failed, uh, at least part of the reason, as a pay-per-view concept, in my opinion. Yeah. You look at the first two, and yeah, like Brett, former world champion, winning the first one. Uh, Razor, you know, the IC, he had been the IC champion. Uh, was he the IC champion when that tournament was going on? Yeah, he was, wasn't he? King Which of the Ring 94? Yeah, he was King. Yeah, uh, he no, was the IC he, champ- no, Diesel was. Diesel was. Oh, Diesel was. Okay. Yeah. But he had been that year. And, you know, mm-hmm. Owen had the big win over Brett at Mania. So, like, you had established, you know, top-level stars in those tournaments. And then, yeah, it gradually becoming the mid-card tournament is what doomed it, I think. But I, I agree with Justin that probably Mania 4 put the seed in Vince's head, and he was never really going to give it a chance. Like, he had that kind of block about having tournaments on programming ever since. Yeah. And, you know... You know, you talk about work rate. We, we've thrown out that word a few times. Just not a lot of great King of the Ring tournament matches through the years. Yeah. I mean, obviously, everyone's going to point to Brett and Perfect. We raved about it when we reviewed the 93 pay-per-view. Um, every bit as good as the more heralded SummerSlam 91 match. But other than that, and like Owen and the Kid, which you touched on again, Ryan, which is like one of the best sub-five-minute matches in company history. People should check it out. I mean, all you need is you don't even need five minutes to watch this. Just not a lot. Austin and Mero was pretty good in 96, but I mean, name your other two favorite King of the Ring matches. Can you? I, I mean, I can't. You know me. I, I mean, I, I go through this stuff with a fine-tooth call. I couldn't pick <laughs> another one. Yeah. Brett and Razor and Owen and Razor. <laughs> there you yeah. go. I mean, even that Owen Razor, I, you know, it was kind of like a backdrop for an angle where Jim Neidhart... Yeah. Because the heel turn. Like, it wasn't, mm-hmm. like, probably their best match that they were capable of having. No, they had a really good match on a Raw and I think, 95 Owen and Razor. Yeah. It's really good. I think it was in Houston. 
Yeah. Yeah. But like that was just basically like they came out and they just wanted Jim Neidhart to turn heel. So yeah, a lot of reasons why King of the Ring hasn't worked. And, you know, I, I, I don't have any faith in whomever wins the King's King of the Ring and Queen's crown this year will do much because it's just so random. The people involved. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at the brackets on the screen right now. To me, like the only intrigue was that they do Xavier and Kofi here in the semis and then Kofi and lost to gender. So we're yeah. not getting that. I mean, Sammy and Finn should be a pretty good match, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what are they? I mean, you talk about two people, in my opinion, you know, would rather be somewhere else. Where, yep. where would that be? I, I don't know. Impact wrestling. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, if you had Xavier to your point, Ryan, Xavier wrestled Kofi Kingston, you know, them putting their friendship and, and, and tag team aside for, you know, a few minutes to win this thing would get over how important it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're not going to do that, apparently, because we're, we don't want to hinder gender in 2021. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. That bird that, has fl- that bird has flown, as the Beatles sang so many years ago. And that's that's the weirdest thing is like you could have done Xavier and Kofi in the first round. Give the people what they want. Yeah. Boy, yeah. I hope Cesaro's glad he resigned. <laughs> <laughs> that is still mind-boggling to me uh, okay and, and and look man i know people are gonna get the dirty diapers out i'm gonna say it and i don't give a damn the queen's crown bracket is an embarrassment I, the left side of that bracket god bless these wi- g- women but like come on man i mean poor Liv morgan i don't know if they're just fucking with her or not yeah i mean she's gotta have one foot out the door right at this point, I mean, her yeah. stuff, I mean, I mean, these pretend pushes they give her just to rip the rug out is just, I, I can't, I, I don't it. get it. They even made a documentary about her. Yeah. <laughs> yet and, they never push her. It makes no and, sense. And remember the entire basis of that documentary was plans change, pal. Yeah. <laughs> like it was her getting hyped up and then the plans would change and her not getting what she thought. It was just basically a mid Carter being frustrated with the creative process. <laughs> this was put on the WWE network. Selena Vega advancing over Tony Storm. I mean, I know, that's heinous. <laughs> I know our good buddy Frank had a lot of things to say about Tony Storm's promo. That's true. He did. Frank has <laughs> uh, always got great takes in the Facebook group. Keep them coming, Frank. I wouldn't, mind doing, show. I wouldn't mind uh, having both Frank and Tim Jensen on the show where we could have like a race. Where we could <laughs> have a race. Anti- where we can have just a race who could be the most critical of WWE. Like, yeah. who, who, who <laughs> the would be anti WWE the most? show ever? Yeah. Do drop it, Nanny. <laughs> this, uh, Dana Brooke, after being mocked by Corey Graves, was in this tournament. After, oh, I don't really know what she's done to her. I think let's put her in the Queen's Crown tournament. <laughs> if Shayna yeah. doesn't win this thing, what, uh, Pete. Somebody should be ashamed of themselves. Well, I mean, look at Not that everything. final four. Zelina, Carmella, Dewdrop, and Shayna. I mean, for God's well, sakes. And also, isn't Shayna known as the Ace of Spades? So, of Queen course, of she's going to win Queen of Spades? Okay. Mm-hmm. Not, not like that. You're thinking of Lemmy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But you know what would have been great here? Because, I mean, Charlotte isn't on that Crown Jewel card. Okay. Charlotte, the Queen, 
You think she would be interested character-wise in this tournament? Why not do a Charlotte-Shayna Baszler final where Baszler beats Charlotte to set up a title program? I mean, is this is that hard? That would be is, interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. is that am I speaking in Swahili to the WWE <laughs> creative team? I, I mean, has it come to this? I mean, just common sense. Wrestling, good wrestling booking is usually very simple. They overcomplicate things and they make it just unwatchable. Yeah, like I said, nothing that. intriguing here. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, though, they're just some phony gimmick for the crown prince. By the way, Mansoor's going to go over, so at least one hometown guy will go over in a WWE pay-per-view <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> Let this be a lesson learned to all the other folks on the WWE roster. If you want to go over in your hometown, the executive of your state should just be this huge authoritarian <laughs> and have $50 million to blow. Oh, man. Yep. Imagine if Kim Reynolds forked over $50 million oh, no. to Vince McMahon and said, oh, no. I want Seth Rollins to go over. <laughs> so, all right. I mean, that's that's the that's the history of King of the Ring. If you want a deep dive on King of the Ring uh, history, the best one ever, 93, check out the Patreon page. Uh, we talked about it at the top of the broadcast. But, uh, yeah, we did about a year ago, Top Rope Nation Classics on King of the Ring 93, a real deep dive on the event you can find that only at patreon.com slash top rope nation link here in the podcast description guys i i always enjoy the history shows the most this was a good time yeah i appreciate you putting in the the work here with the historical notes the show notes made this very smooth so thank you for doing the research sir justin joint thank you for joining as always and uh yeah any parting comments before we take it home uh some say next week could be a wild week in top rope nation I don't want, let's don't not do say anything, but, but it could be a, a, a wild week. You, the listeners will not know what's coming in my yes. opinion. Yes. I, I, we have something very good, I think in the works for, yeah, we, we oh, got some, especially wild a, a, sub, a, a subset of our listeners will very much enjoy it if this yes. comes together. Yes. And I, I think so. it will. I've, I've talked, I think, you know, plans can always change pal, but, uh, I think yeah. this one, I think this one's booked. I think it's on the sheet. My little pencil. Very nice. awesome well hey yeah everyone check out the podcast feed here on the main the flagship feed wherever podcasts are found next week for that Uh, in the interim we will have top rope nation extra dropping our bonus show i think usually we do it on wednesday nights it's going to be this weekend because aew is is airing on friday and saturday night so i think kyle and i are planning on recording sunday top rope nation extra will drop sunday then exclusively on patreon yeah who and who knows where this arms race between uh smackdown and uh rampage is gonna end up by that point man they're both just trying every gimmick in the book i love it imagine not liking (laughs) where people just are adding random half hours and hours anywhere they could find them unbelievable so yeah, we'll we'll have a show recap and all everything, all the craziness from this weekend. That's Top Rope Nation Extra. That's the Patreon bonus every week. Join the Patreon page. Get all that bonus show content from us. That will be this weekend. And then as Kyle T's next Friday, special show we'll have for you here on the main feed. So uh yeah, that's all oh, I that's got. Gonna fellas, be main feed. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. Uh oh. I think it is gonna be the main feed. So okay. yeah, that's gonna be next Friday show. Cool. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning in. As always, appreciate your loyalty and and tuning wherever you get your podcast or if you're watching here on YouTube. We will be back with you real soon. Have a great weekend. Take care. 
We'll see you with episode 227 next week. Peace.